A common scene in technology companies everywhere. Big conference table with the CTO on one end, developer teams on the other, the showdown. We have an idea, will it get funded? More companies are feeling the pressure to go faster and stay ahead of the competition. Projects that have long timelines or no immediate impact are hard to justify. Datastax is sponsoring a contest with real projects, real money, and real CTOs. If you have a Kubernetes project that needs a database, the winner will get funded with a free year of Datastax Astra. Follow the link in the podcast description to submit your project. It's time to impress the CTO and get your project funded. Eyes glazed over from debugging a remote Kubernetes service? Instead, run your service locally in your favorite debugger and instantly find the problem. Ambassador Telepresence is the easiest way to debug microservices on Kubernetes. Spend more time fixing problems instead of reproducing them. Ambassador Telepresence is free to use for teams with unlimited developers. Get started today at getambassador.io slash devdiscuss. Educative.io is a hands-on learning platform for software developers. Learn anything from Rust to system design without the hassle of setup or videos. Text-based courses let you easily skim back and forth like a book, while cloud-based developer environments let you get your hands dirty without fiddling with an IDE. Take your skills to the next level. Visit educative.io slash devdiscuss today to get a free preview and 10% off an annual subscription. Get ready to level up at New Relic's virtual event, FutureStack 2021, held May 25th through the 27th. Join your fellow data nerds from around the world to learn, inspire, and rack up experience in 50 interactive sessions, 12 hands-on labs, and a 24-hour hackathon. FutureStack is your cheat code for observability. Engineers from across the industry will lead you through topics like Kubernetes, DevOps strategies, and observability. Then join us to relax with some Minecraft on Nerd Island. Registration is free at futurestack.com. Game on. For someone who loves to attend conferences and network and interface and just be submerged into the conference atmosphere, online conferences don't do it for me. I think this is going to be such a good conversation suddenly. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Dev Discuss, the show where we cover the burning topics that impact all of our lives as developers. I'm Ben Halpern, a co-founder of Forum. And I'm Jess Lee, also a co-founder of Forum. Today, we're talking about the grand experiment that is distributed conferences with Paul Campbell, founder of Tito and creator of Ulconf, and Angela Andrews, associate solutions architect at Red Hat and an avid conference attendee. Paul, Angela, thank you both so much for joining us. Thank you so much for inviting. Yeah, it's great to be here. Paul, let's start with you. Can you tell us a little bit about your background in the software space? So coming up on 10 years ago now, I, I was high and dry in the the software world, had a few years of experience out of college and had met lots of people at conferences. And I decided to start my own conference. And (laughs) through one way or the other, we decided to call it FunConf. And it had nothing to do with functional programming and everything to do with fun. The piece that I'm most happy with was that we brought people across the technology sphere. We had JavaScript developers, PHP developers, Python, Ruby. We, it was a, big eclectic mix of 100 people. And it wasn't like a RubyConf or a JSConf. It was people who came for the love of tech. We used Eventbrite the second year. I had I was doing consulting work. I had some 
payment code lying around. I built it at API. And so the process for buying tickets to FunConf 2 was you would click buy tickets, you would pay, and then you were told that you were going to a conference in a castle in the south of Ireland. And I liked the simplicity of that. And then the toy turned into a thing that I showed to somebody else and they used it. And then I showed it to somebody who would now be called an influencer, I guess, and they used it. And then they influenced somebody else to use it. And then suddenly NodeConf was using Tito, JSConf was using Tito, RubyConf was using Tito, and that kind of spiraled slowly. It was, we grew very, very slowly over the last uh, seven, eight years. And then at our best year in 2019, and we were going to have our best year in 2020 when COVID-19 hit and destroyed the business. So, <laughs> so then we conceived of Veto. We were like, what if we built a video app? What if we built a community app? What if we built an app that had an agenda and had everything live updated and it was much easier to use than all of the existing systems that people use and, and stick together? And we built all three. So Angela, tell us a bit about your background as a developer and your history with going to conferences. I started out as a systems administrator and I got into development because it was a hobby. And so I got really interested and in, into the online coding community. So I was teaching myself, you know, JavaScript, Python, and things like that. I was a really big follower of the Code Newbie Twitter chats. And I started attending those conferences. So I was at the first and the second, and I've, I've been attending them ever since. And I never flipped a switch into development. I even went to a full stack coding boot camp in 2018. And I decided I was a much better assistant than a developer, but having those skills really parlayed it into a sweet job. So I don't regret <laughs> taking that leap at all. Awesome to hear that you, you know, are an original Codeland attendee. Did you happen to attend our distributed conferences this past summer, which our ticketing system was powered by Tito? <laughs> yes and yes. I was able to attend it this summer. It was one of the many distributed conferences I attended this year. So it's great. I was able to attend conferences that I probably never would have before. So I guess for you know, the sake of outreach and getting more people interested and in, in, in attendance, those distributed conferences were a success in that regard. Would you say that you went to more distributed conferences than you would have gone to in-person conferences in the typical year? That would be a yes. Hmm. So wow. I attended quite a few. So Codeland, a little bit of PyCon, the Pluralsight Conference, I went to Red Hat Summit, I went to Ansible Fest, I went to KubeCon, and there was a security conference where the logo was a stack of pancakes. And I can't remember the name of it, but it was very early in COVID times. That was probably the best distributed conference that I'd been to. And the rest were interesting, to say the least. Hmm. Interesting to say the least. Can you expand? <laughs> I'm usually very engaged in conferences. I've gone to, I can't tell you how many in-person conferences, probably more than 20, 25 over the years. I mean, in-person traveling, that doesn't even count local meetups and local conferences. So yes, when you say she's an avid conference goer, yeah, that would be pretty much summing it up. So I'll say this. For someone who loves to attend conferences and network and interface and just be submerged into the conference atmosphere, 
online conferences don't do it for me. I think this is going to be such a good conversation suddenly. (laughs) (laughs) I just had a thought, right? No matter how good Zoom is, and, and no matter how amazing Zoom is, where you we're all massive distances from each other, and speaking through this amazing technology, like the scale of human achievement required for us to be simply having this conversation is huge. <laughs> and it's so much crapper than being in a room having a chat. It is. I have to agree with you. <laughs> I really missed the human interaction. I like, you know, the hallway chats, meeting people for the first time, being able to look them in their face, you know, shake their hand. I really do miss that human interaction. And I felt just so wanting in every last one of these conferences. I'm going to give you two reasons off the top of my head. One, because it doesn't take me away from my office or my desk. So I am always inundated with the work thing. So it's very hard to submerge yourself into an online conference because of that pull. If I were even not even in my building, if I were in a conference space down in Center City or across the country, there's nothing stopping me from being 100% invested and engaged in the conference and it's the materials that it's trying to share with me. When you're sitting at your desk at home or wherever you're working and the phone rings or you get a ping, it just immediately takes you away. So that's the one thing. The other thing is, I already mentioned it, the human interaction part. You really miss that. A lot of these conferences have already pre-canned or pre-recorded content. So there's not a lot of feedback until the very end. And then it has its benefits because it opened up a whole new world for folks to be able to attend conferences that maybe they would not have had the ability to attend. But also, you lose a lot. There's a lot lost in translation, in my opinion. Angela, you, you mentioned there are benefits. There are so many benefits. There are, there are huge numbers of benefits to doing things online. But I don't think they come from the conference world. And you said when you're at a a live event, you get taken away. I have had that experience recently on Netflix. I was watching a show called Little America, which I had never heard of until I watched the top Netflix shows of, of 2020. It's about immigrant stories in the United States. And each episode is 30 minutes. It, it feels like watching a three hour movie. Like it's just, it's an escape. You just get sucked into this person's life for a few minutes. And, and it, it's similar to what you described as this being taken away that that sort of happens naturally in a conference where this there's this human connection in a room, being in the same room as somebody. To get to do that sort of requires Netflix production values, a team of writers, producers, camera work, photographers. This, there is an industry in producing transcendent experiences using video or using screen, and it's called movies and television. There's also a, a platform that does that for a lot of people with very low cost video. And it's YouTube and another one, Twitch, and, and, and all these other video platforms. And then there are platforms for sending messages and, and, and chatting. And there are platforms for getting content online and publishing. And, and for every single one of these things, we know tons of examples of successful online experiences. And so, so what's interesting to me is that 
I don't know if there's a magic analog to in-person events. And I think a really great premise that Angela has hit on immediately in this conversation is that in-person events are sacred almost because I don't think that they can be replicated. And so if you take it from, can we replicate the, the feeling of an in-person event to how can we use the web technology to create experiences for folks that aren't necessarily trying to replicate an in-person event. To me, that was a, a, a more interesting premise. I say, as I've built a platform that really has not had any traction. <laughs> From my perspective, there is a little bit of over-investment in in-person conferences from certain cohorts, like in our industry, as we step from possible over-investment or lack of thinking outside the box to true enforced thinking outside the box, which only can, can go so well, to maybe like an outcome of a more overall balance between the best stuff that you can do in a distributed fashion and the best stuff that you can do in person. And from my perspective, you waste a lot of the in-person time in conferences in ways that are not necessarily better in person anyway. And if in-person conferences can really focus on what it means to get together and have those relationships form and those moments strike alongside, you know, the best stuff from great keynotes in person. And, and if we can achieve balance with everything we learned this year, everything we learned from having to do everything online and missing the real people connections, that to me is the best place we can be. For our listeners who might be planning a distributed conference or planning to attend one. Angela, what has been your takeaway of like what organizers have done really well that have made for a positive distributed experience and any advice for people to attend so that they can be a little bit more submerged from it and, and get something out of it? So what sticks out to me was the security conference that I can't remember the name for some reason, but the what pancake one. Yes, the pancake one. That's what, that's what we're going to call it. It was a day long. And what I liked was there was interaction during the presentations. And then, of course, after the presentations, it was almost as if you could still do that Q&A or the presenter could go off script and talk more about something. So that interaction was amazing. Like what I don't think works a lot is there are these rooms you kind of go in and they remind me of chat rooms where people are talking about a particular topic and these conversations you know they're so in-depth and it's like if you had a question you're not sure if it's like if it's the time so it's almost like you're jumping double dutch you're like trying to wait and see when you can kind of get in and I found that oh okay well I'll, I'll figure out this, you know, the answer to this question some other way, you know. So it was the interaction between the presenter and the audience at the end, you know, sometimes during, but at the end of the talk. And it kind of solidified the content and the interaction that we were missing. Great content, even in some of the conferences where I felt, you know, I just sat and watched and then logged off and moved on with my day. The content is great. It's there. It's nice that people can access it. But again, what we're missing is the connection and the interaction. And I can honestly say, you know, I've not walked away with a conference buddy, like someone that I met 
and we hit it off and, you know, we communicated after the conference. That hasn't happened one time because it doesn't feel like that's kind of possible, but it has happened in the past. So I don't have the magic bullet. I think what was talked about, Ben mentioned that there's room for both. There's information out there and it can be shared and we may have to reimagine it. I'm just waiting to see how it's reimagined because I don't think we're going to go back to the 25,000 attendee, you know, VM world conferences anymore. I don't know if that's the world that we're going back to. So we have to figure out what to do next. That is as effective in the distributed space. I feel there's a a risk of (laughs) having glorified in-person a little bit ahead of time. And I think Ben was, gave us a good reminder that a lot of, large part of motivating me to build software in the event space was that a lot of in-person events are lacking. I can think of a handful of things of why in-person doesn't work out. Like I've, I can count the number of times that I would show up at a city. I'm happy to go for a beer, go for dinner, go for coffee with somebody. And I don't know anybody, but I do know that there are 1200 people that I, of whom I would probably get on with the vast majority of if I had some way to to simply break the ice, which feels like is a problem like that. ICQ was solving that problem for strangers in the 90s. It feels like for a tech conference in 2019, where I found that that happening, where I, I, I would show up in London at a conference and I didn't know anybody. I'd stand in the corner until the ice was broken. Some folks think the conference is about the content, but there's a, the, uh, like there's this great concept of come for the content, but stay for the community. And it sounds like that's the piece that you feel you're most missing from your experience. That is what's missed. And the t-shirts. I mean, that definitely, my my wardrobe has really suffered because I haven't been to any in-person conferences. But what I've found is in-person conferences also lack diversity too. On these distributed events, there's more women than I'd ever seen. There's more LBGTQ plus people. There are more people who look like me. And I've been in tech for a really long time. And I was impressed by the diversity of content, the diversity of presenters, the diversity of how content was presented. That was the boon for me in this distributed conference year. I had not seen it before. And that is probably the feather in the cap for those folks putting these conferences on. I felt maybe that they weren't encumbered by things that they were encumbered by before, whatever those things are. It was just really nice to see that difference. And I can honestly say most conferences don't provide that. And the online space in 2020 really shined to me in that respect. Yeah, 100%. That was so evident with Codeland and our ability to reach people from all around the world the biggest constraint of physical conferences is the ability to get people there. And, you know, we we had like a scholarship program in the past, but we couldn't offer scholarships to every single person because it was such a big expense for us too. And this year we could let, you know, everyone who was interested in, which made it really special. And I think, I mean, for us at least, when we think about Codeland, like we definitely want there to be a a strong like virtual component, even when we go back into the in-person world, just because we realize how many more people can benefit from the conference itself and how many more people we can reach. And yeah, I think that missing piece is like really like, how do we have folks walk away with a buddy? And I feel like that's like a really good goal for a lot of conference organizers to to think through and ground themselves on. I will say this about Codeland. Again, I've 
been to my share of conferences and I've been to all the code lands. It has been, since its inception, the most inclusive, thoughtful, open conference that I've ever been to. And so many other conferences could learn so much from following how Codeland has come to be. And it's only gotten better over the years with the things that, you know, they may have missed something this year. Next year, they, they take feedback very seriously. It's going to get incorporated. I've always championed, you know, you really need to look at what they're doing at this conference because I've not seen it uh, replicated before or since. Sick of your laptop overheating every time you try to run your Kubernetes application locally? With Ambassador Telepresence, you can intercept your services on your local machine so that you can develop on your services as if your laptop was running in the cluster. Never worry about running out of memory again, no matter how complex your Kubernetes application gets. Ambassador Telepresence is free to use for teams with unlimited developers. Get started today at getambassador.io slash devdiscuss. New Relic's application monitoring platform gives you detailed performance metrics for every aspect of your software environment. Manage application performance in real time, troubleshoot problems in your stack, and move beyond traditional monitoring with New Relic 1, your complete software observability solution. Get started for free at developer.newrelic.com. To connect with the team behind New Relic directly, join the Relicans. The Relicans is a new community hub designed to help developers create cool projects, inspire one another, level up, and learn in public. You can start a discussion about your favorite programming language, ask a question about software observability, share a tutorial, and lots more. Join today at therelicans.com. What would you say about Codeland? to other conference creators? Like if you were to just try to give them a few points about what makes Codeland work, and then what would you kind of say to us in terms of like, what should we be saying to tell people why they should come to Codeland, either either in person or the virtual experience, you know, given our best efforts to bring some of the values to the virtual experience? I can't say enough about the diversity of the speakers that speak at Codeland, it really hits to the value and the breadth and depth of the dev community. And it's nice to see it highlighted on that stage. I like the fact that even the small things about, you know, the types of food that are available, people have dietary restrictions. You know, you don't want bad food just because you have a restriction. That is one thing. In the last year, or maybe the year before, they added closed captioning, and that was stellar. That was so stellar. So you have to start looking at people as a whole. We're not a monolith. Everyone doesn't like T-shirts as gifts, you know. And I know it's hard because conferences are expensive. You know, I I used to put on you know motorcycle conferences back in the early two thousands. I know they're expensive, but you have to realize that. People are diverse and their needs and, you know, how they come to the conference are going to be diverse. So you really have to juggle 
what can you do to be inclusive as possible? Also, I'm going to say this because I'm here and I know it's probably not a popular opinion. I did attend the Codeland Distributed and I liked it, but it, it was the same thing that I felt in the other conferences. So I wasn't able to make that connect. And I'm already part of the Dev2 community and it still felt a little bit weird. It felt a little awkward. And I'm not an awkward person. I think, and I saw this at an AWS reInvent, how they kind of prepared you. What happens is we kind of just drop ourselves into these virtual conferences and we don't know the machinations of how they really want it to be presented to us. What reInvent did, which I thought was clever, they showed you how to reInvent, right? How do you maneuver? How do you communicate? How do you get to where you're going? How do you you know, get back to the content? How do you interact with the speakers? How do you interact with the other attendees? And it was a series. So it kept coming. It kept getting better and better. So by the time I got to reInvent, I didn't feel like I was dropped into it. I think priming your attendees, one, because you're wetting their appetite. Two, they're not guessing as to how to maneuver this platform you want them to ingest it the way that you plan. And I think how reInvent did it was amazing because it was my first one and I did not feel that angst that most people feel at their first reInvent. One of the things that has annoyed me about the way events are presented online is that they're continuing to do, you buy a ticket and then you get a, a link to Zoom or the platform or whatever it else is, like the morning of that the event is on. And I think the only reason that that is done, particularly if it's on Zoom, that Zoom doesn't have any kind of any kind of non-ephemeral UI. But the reason it's done is that it, it just maps one-to-one -one with the real world. And like, I just think it would be great that instead of, if I buy a ticket to Codeland, I, I, I knocked into Codeland too, and I, it, I, I thought it was really good. But I, I can definitely see where you're coming from. In terms of like, I was like, where, where do I go? Where do I, where do I look for people? Like what, where, do, where does this, where's the schedule? It was, I had to kind of felt like I had to reorient myself and it would have been super helpful to have like, instead of buying a ticket and then waiting until the morning of the show, I could have bought a ticket and then just gone into the, the Codeland space. And maybe it would have been quiet, but to me, there ought to be a, a place to introduce myself or a place to, to start meeting that cohort of people who are probably at least some of them who are like me or to find people who are like me and start chats well in advance, because ultimately, isn't that what we're all looking for? Or at least isn't that what we come back for is the, the people. Paul, can you actually tell us a bit more about Vito? Well, Vito is, is software that's based on a lot of the principles uh, that I've talked about. Like there's so much waste in in-person events. When you show up at an in-person event, you've only got three days. And for a lot of people, I assume their experience is like mine, where such a huge part of that is standing around in a corner awkwardly, looking for a moment to find somebody that you know, or says, some, says something that you can join a conversation for, or even filtering out the people who maybe you don't get on. That's just so, so much waste. And actually there is technology to, to do that, whether it's Slack or Twitter or, or whatever social network, like the, it, these tools are reasonably okay for 
following what people say and saying, no, that person's not for me, so I won't talk to them. And if there was a central place to do that uh, for every event that I went to, I'd be very happy. And if if that little network of people who I was interested in would follow me around, and if I go to an in-person event and it has a veto hub, that I could join the veto hub well in advance and start to get to know people so that when I land in St. Louis or I land in London or I land in Berlin, that I meet Ben and I say, oh, you're at Ben123 on Vito. How's it going? We've been chatting. So what I want Vito to be was like a, a centralized, almost little social club thing for event attendees. And then I was building it with in-person in mind because all of the ideas came from in-person. But of course, the practical application had to be online during COVID. So it, we've conceived it as a tool like you can grant people access as soon as you're ready to, even if it's, even if you have no content, you've got no speakers, you've got no agenda, you've got nothing, you can grant people access. There's a miniature communication channel. It'll, you can send messages and you can create Slack-ish channels. On the day of your event, you can live stream. Um, we're, we're using a, a third-party live streaming platform, but so you can send video to it and you've got a little agenda that live, that, that live updates throughout the day to give people context for what they, what they are. And then after the event, the, the same hub, the same access can be used to share the videos and you can just paste all the videos live in line in the, in the schedule or create on demand or continue to provide content afterwards, but also continue to sell access, which I think is really cool as well. What do you both of you think, given like what we can accomplish between now and, you know, 2025, like what should we be building towards? I think the bridging of social media into the conference space is probably the next logical progression because we're so used to building communities in our Slack channels and on Twitter and, you know, on Instagram and that it already has such a strong foundation. People are comfortable. They're already interacting. But we have to figure out, well, how do we pivot that from, you know, these disparate platforms where the community exists for something wrapped around a conference, a conference topic, you know, a conference in general? How do we bridge that? I think we have to figure out how to bring people because we're comfortable in the social media space. We're comfortable talking to people that we don't know on a regular basis. How does that translate? And I think it might have a lot to do with maybe, like I mentioned, you might have to prime the pump. Like Paul said, he has you know these little hubs where people can kind of talk before conferences. This is getting people interested and you know excited about the content. That's a small part of it. Again, being inclusive really has a really big part of it. We want to see conferences take this trajectory that it's already on and keep it pushing. Like, we don't want this to stop. We don't want people to take their foot off the pedal when we get back to whatever that new normal is. But, you know, give it a couple of years' time, technology is going to improve. These platforms are going to get better. And and more intuitive, you're going to be able to bring more people to them. But the hard work is always going to be, how are we building community around these topics? Because the content's already there. We can go to YouTube. We can go to insert, you know, platform here where I go to learn about something. What makes that any different? Well, it's usually the people. So uh, focusing on how to integrate that better into these conferences and these online platforms and 
this distributed way of, you know, getting this content, it's going to be a challenge. But I think a lot of conference planners are, are going in the right direction. I think we really just need to figure out how do we forklift that, you know, comfortable social media. And the key word here is social. You know, how do we bring that into the space? So when the conference is over, one, you have all of the content that you, you know, you've consumed. It's great. You know, you want to interface with those people because there's always more learning and understanding after it's over. My wish is that I always like to think about it as conferences are about inspiration. So inspiration is tricky to find if you're just kind of clicking links on a page versus sitting, telling somebody about what you're, you've done and then they say something or, or sitting in a room with a bunch of people with somebody influential. So inspiration, empowerment. There's something very different about being around a bunch of people who have achieved things and by the very virtue of the fact that you're in the same room of them, they become peers. And so it's almost like getting permission for you to be more ambitious. And then, and then of course, education. So if we say we can achieve education through the use of technology, we're, we're still a little bit short on empowerment and inspiration. And I think a lot of in-person events, you go to hoping to be lifted out of yourself and you go away feeling, oh, I wish I could have done more. And if out of all of this, that more educational resources go into the cheaper to attend and, and wider, easily wider distributable videos, tutorials, live sessions, panel sessions like this, if a lot more of that stuff is produced to allow people from a more diverse background to, to bubble up so that when you do bring people to in-person, that the money that you invest in in-person is solely focused on building remarkable experiences and life-changing experiences and bringing people together in ways that absolutely lift people out of themselves, then I would be very happy. So with that being said, I think that it's easy in some ways to accomplish some of this inspiration and fun part, if that's the focus. But how do you get people to buy into coming? Like, how do you say on the landing page of your conference that this is about fun? Even if everybody will benefit from it being more about inspiration than about like the specifics of the content. How do you justify getting people to come and possibly having their work pay for their ticket if their work is doing that for conferences? Like, if they're going to be inspired to learn a lot more after that, like if they're going to attend a conference that talk that teaches them about either some new functional programming paradigm that's going to inspire them to rewrite the whole company software as conference talks sometimes do, or inspire them to just get into new some some new technology or meet people or all the other things that in-person conferences or any conferences of any kind can accomplish. How would you sell a conference when the point of it is inspiration? Do you say that on the landing page or is it better left unsaid and you try to make that more the fundamentals of what you try to achieve? Like, what do you tell people about a conference that's driven to inspire and to bring people together, maybe to find a buddy, et cetera? I think you tell them. I think a lot of people go into spaces, you know, go to conferences, go to meetups. They want to be inspired. They want to take away something that will educate, 
empower, and innovate. That's what they want. They don't just want to sit there for 45 minutes or you know, an hour or two and not have something tangible that they can make use of. So I think the inspiration part is a really big part of conferences. And if you're baking that in, you know, you are enticing folks who may just go to conferences for whatever reason and, and but don't come away with that inspiration. They don't come away with the invigoration that you would hope they would. But if you're setting them up for the greatness that is, you know, you're really providing them with at least putting them in the mindset that we want to inspire you. We want to make sure that you come out of this better than when you went in. So bake it in, you know, say it from the rooftops. Definitely, you want to sell that because a lot of people may not be inspired. Hopefully they are at the end of any conference that they attend, but, you know, making that a a selling point, I think that's fun and I think that's important. Chances are, like other software developers, you learn better by doing than just watching. Unfortunately, most online learning platforms still have you passively sit through videos instead of actually getting your hands dirty. Educative.io is different. Their courses are interactive and hands-on with live coding environments inside your browser so you can practice as you go. They're also text-based, meaning you can skim back and forth like a book to the parts you're interested in. Step up your learning in 2021. Visit educative.io slash devdiscuss today to get a free preview and 10% off of an annual subscription. A common scene in technology companies everywhere. Big conference table with the CTO on one end, developer teams on the other, the showdown. We have an idea, will it get funded? More companies are feeling the pressure to go faster and stay ahead of the competition. Projects that have long timelines or no immediate impact are hard to justify. Datastax is sponsoring a contest with real projects, real money, and real CTOs. If you have a Kubernetes project that needs a database, the winner will get funded with a free year of Datastax Astra. Follow the link in the podcast description to submit your project. It's time to impress the CTO and get your project funded. Now we're going to move into a segment where we look at responses that you, the audience, have sent us to a question we made in relation to this episode. The question we asked you all was, what do you like and or hate most about distributed conferences? And our first response is from Jonathan. Hey, Dev Discuss. So something that I miss about distributed conferences is seeing people's faces. Um, and there's this energy at conferences that you just don't feel when you're at home. But I do love that my fridge is just a few steps away. I can snack all day. Thanks. Ah, distributed conference solves the diet problem since everyone has their own fridge at home. When I go to in-person conferences, I pretty much snack the whole day, nonstop. I'm always finding the snack table or especially the coffee table. I tend to have about 10 cups of coffee when I'm attending long in-person conferences. That's also where I get a lot of the social interaction too, is sort of like bumping into people at the snack table. I think I met you at a snack table, Jess. Probably. We were, I think we were in a Google I.O. 
many years ago. Oh my gosh. And it was this, you know, this relaxing area where people were just kind of chilling. And it's like, wow, that's where I met Jess Lee. What the heck? That conference is like particularly overwhelming because there are so many people there. So mm. yeah, they need to have snack tables. Just, I mean, they do have snack tables everywhere where you can have these interactions. So snacks, snacks and human interaction. That's what we're taking away from his comment. And I, I agree with both. I agree with both. Here's a response we got from our Google voice. What I have liked is that they are more accessible and honestly, this year, I found out and attended more conferences than I knew about prior to the pandemic. Usually they're free, makes it a lot easier to attend if it's free or a low cost. I don't have to travel. I would say the downside is that maybe it's not sustainable long term. Um, I know some conferences exist to make money or their sponsorship and there's certain expectations. I don't know if having that free or low cost virtual aspect is sustainable long term, but I do like it. I will say a downside, I do miss the face-to-face interactions. Sometimes it can be hard to attend a conference virtually if you're also working that day, whereas if I was in person at a conference, chances are I've taken off work and I'm not multitasking in that aspect. I swear to you, that was not me on the recording, but she definitely spoke to me. (laughs) All of her comments were spot on, and I agree wholeheartedly. So whoever you are, Great comments. Hmm. You're really speaking directly to me. I agree. Those are just so important in, in conference going. This might be overly cynical, but yeah, watch out for the free ones because if you're not paying, there's probably sponsors and you probably are the product. <laughs> the economics of conferences in general. And Angela, you had mentioned that, you know, conferences can be, you know, expensive to do some of this stuff, but it's still worth ensuring accessibility, even if there's additional costs and and making the economics work. And sometimes we also have to acknowledge that some of the economics in play in the tech industry are so much bigger than some of what we do as conferences. And ultimately, they should I imagine be contributing in a way that is driving value for the entire developer ecosystem. So like when someone learns something or is inspired at Codeland to maybe, you know, learn Swift, get into app development on iOS, they're also booing a company that's worth $2.1 trillion now, maybe more. I don't know in the last, last time I checked, but the expense of the closed captioning compared to, you know, some of the economics as you bubble up and Apple's now worth $2 trillion built on developers, there ideally is a component where the benefactors of tech education are able to contribute without like unilaterally taking the value. So even if I'm not only teaching about Apple, why shouldn't Apple be contributing broadly to this type of education in a way where you know doesn't make the learner just the product but is kind of more like acknowledging of how much value they're extracting from the growth of software development that's a bigger picture within all all of software in in fairness to apple specifically they did right they did just that with wwdc like made it entirely free 
and you know down the line where Apple's interests lie, but it feels like that's a good model. I did the, if a conference is free, it doesn't, matter, doesn't necessarily mean that your product in the same way maybe as a web app is. Yeah, and I, I think it's complicated, and I think like a lot of these tech companies are contributing pretty consistently to this space already. It's why some of these conferences exist in the first place, and it's all part of the ecosystem. But in 2020, the big tech companies grew more than the rest of the economy combined practically you know like if you look at the S&P 500 it was anchored by the tech companies and grew and the next biggest 500 companies like massive bankruptcies small businesses massive bankruptcies so the economy is growing the tech companies are becoming bigger and bigger at a pace that's like you know if they seem big in 2019 like look at them now there there's an opportunity for you know, an acknowledgement of like, you know, even maybe what was happening a year ago, like there's so much more value captured for, for some of these organizations that they could potentially put back into the ecosystem, especially in ways that buoy accessibility and things like that. So I think, you know, we, we have to try to just be aware of some of the size of some of these things. Let's go over one more member response. Shannon wrote in, what I've liked about most distributed conferences I've attended this year is the pre-recorded format. It's really cool watching a talk live, but the speaker is also live in the chat to engage with attendees. Distributed conferences also feel like they have less of an environmental impact from a swag perspective. Don't get me wrong, I like swag, but I also don't need more swag. If I remember correctly, Codeland gave attendees an option for swag, which uh, swag they wanted, which is a good compromise of swag at being mindful of waste. The downside of distributed conferences is attending while also working a nine to five. Angela, you definitely spoke to, you know, just not being able to be emerged because you get a ping somewhere. Um, so definitely agree here yes. on like, how do you balance full-time work and also like being a full participant in a conference? I haven't figured that out yet. It has been, I want to say, you know, almost impossible to be fully immersed in these uh, distributed events because when when conferences made that switch from you know on prem to distributed, even though you tell your folks that yeah I'm going to this uh, I'm on this online conference, they don't respect your space. It's almost as if what conference? Mm -hmm. What are you talking about? You you're here. I see your green light in you know G chat. What are you talking about? I don't think people have made the mental break that when you say you're going to a conference, I, I think your boss, if it's during work hours, they should allow you that time. And I don't think that that has happened for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. So they feel like they're being torn between trying to get in as much content as they possibly can versus I still have a day job that I need to be responsible for. I don't think, you know, managers or supervisors or whomever, I don't think they give you that leeway. So people are making this really hard choice and maybe not walking away with the experience that conference planners are hoping because you're always, it's so disjointed and, you know, stop, start, stop, start. It's unfortunate, but I don't know how to change that other than, you know, hoping managers give people the opportunity to check out for four hours, you know, pick a, you know, AM or PM, give them something. You shouldn't have to have your feet in both worlds when you're trying to consume something like this. I don't think it's fair. 
Angela and Paul, thank you both so much for joining us today. Thank you both for inviting us. This was fun. I enjoyed it. Yeah, thanks for having us. I want to thank everyone who sent in responses. For all of you listening, please be on the lookout for our next question. We'd especially love it if you would dial into our Google Voice. The number is international code 1-929-500-1513. Or you can email us a voice memo so we can hear your responses in your own beautiful voices. This show is produced and mixed by Levi Sharp. Editorial oversight by Peter Frank and Saran Yabarik. Our theme song is by Slow Biz. If you have any questions or comments, please email pod at dev.to and make sure to join our DevDiscuss Twitter chats on Tuesdays at 9 p.m. Eastern. Or if you want to start your own discussion, write a post on Dev using the hashtag Discuss. Please rate and subscribe to this show on Apple Podcasts.